0: Father, we give you praise and we thank you for the opportunity to be here today to worship you and to hear your word. We would pray that you would always be with this ministry, that we would strive to follow and and, uh, do your will and please you in all ways. And Father, we pray for those hurting today and those asking for prayer that you'd be with them, that your healing hand would be upon them. And Father, we thank you for all the blessings you've given to this ministry, to those here, to those abroad. And we simply ask for your presence, and we pray that you will again continue to uh, be with your people. And we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing to see everybody here. I'd like to welcome our uh, visitors. I'd also, like to welcome those online. We know that there's many, many people watching online. Yes, <laughs> you know, so, uh, the uh, first song, Tale L of Wonders," really will fit into my uh, message. Well, today, if it's not obvious from the slide, I want to talk about evolution. And I'm going to frame this as the religion of evolution. And I say religion because, you know, I believe evolution is not based on a scientific fact, but on, on really the faith of humanism, if you will. So in many ways, it's a religion. I know that many would argue with this statement and say that evolution is not a religion, but is science or maybe a scientific theory. Some, again, might even say a scientific fact, or the problem with that is evolution, again, is a theory that has been elevated to a fact that I believe is unsupported by the actual science. And that's really the important point to understand. You know, by the way, this, I'm not alone in this opinion. There are many scientists, many scientists who share this opinion. I've read books of different scientists, different disciplines, all agreeing that evolution is wrong and that The universe and the world that we see supports, as they say, intelligent design. You know, as we're going to see later in this message, the Apostle Paul, he speaks about a form of evolution, because obviously evolution did not exist at this point, but I believe he still speaks to this topic. You know, what makes evolution so dangerous? Well, for me, is this denial of a creator. You know, what could be worse than the denial of a divine creator, the denial of our Father in heaven? It, in essence, doesn't, denies the existence of a higher, that a power higher than mankind, and by, do, by so doing, it removes the need to even recognize a creator, to recognize morality, to recognize ethics. Inevitably, it turns people away from the bible and we're going to talk a little bit about that today and even some of my own experience many many decades ago in middle school maybe i can remember what that was like you know in part i believe that evolution is a reason we see the moral collapse in this nation it's not the only reason we obviously have many many other reasons why we see the morality escaping this nation but i believe that evolution plays a role in this you know, for example, when so many people deny the existence of our creator, what motivation is there to live a moral life? If there's nothing beyond this life, what motivation is there to live a life of ethics, a life of morality, a life of, of, of virtue, Or there is none? Now, I want to clarify a few things. When I say evolution, I'm speaking about Darwinian evolution. And as you all probably know, this form of evolution arose from a man named Charles Darwin. So, what do we know about Charles Darwin? I'm going to just talk briefly about what we know about this man, where he lived between 1809 and 1882. He was the fifth of six children, so he was one of many siblings. He was an English naturalist, geologist, and is best known for his theory of evolution. And that's where, again, we know about this man. Now, this is interesting. I'm Along with a man named Alfred Wallace, we don't hear a whole lot about Alfred Wallace, but we do understand the concept of natural selection. I remember um, listening to the a professor in biology when I took this in college years ago. Or along with Alfred Wallace, Charles Darwin is the one who came up with this concept. And the last one here, I want to just bring out in 1859, he published a book entitled on the. Origin of Species, which explained how natural selection would give rise to all plants and animal life through evolution. We're going to see a quote from that in this message. So, what is natural selection? It's kind of kind of an important concept to understand. What is natural selection? Or here's how the Merriam-Webster dictionary defines natural selection. This is a natural process that results in the survival and reproductive success of individuals or groups best adjusted to their environment and that leads to the perpetration of genetic qualities best suited to that particular environment. You know, basically this theory states that these organisms that are stronger, that are more adaptable to their environments, that they will re- reproduce and those genetic traits will pass on. Now, while I believe this Theory has some value. Trying to use it to explain this concept of evolution, Darwinian evolution, goes way beyond its limit. There's nothing in natural selection, this, this notion, this concept, that would ever explain how an ape-like creature could evolve into a homo sapien. You know, this is nonsensical. You know, those who believe in evolution, though, will argue that given enough time given enough chance, that these things will eventually happen, that we will see evolution, such as, again, an ape-like creature evolving into a man or a human being. Now, the reality is, many believers have also accepted and bought into evolution. Now, this, this um, form of evolution is called theistic evolution. And theistic evolution refers to a word the uh, theistic itself refers to a, a belief in a divine creator, but that creator created through this concept of evolution, including the use of natural selection. Now, one man who is an advocate of this that we're all aware of and familiar with is the Pope. The Pope believes in theistic evolution. In fact, here's a quote from Pope Francis, October of 2014. He says, when we read about creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining G.O.D. was a magician. You know, that, just that statement alone. You know, with a magic wand, able to do everything. But that is not so. He created human beings and let them develop according to the internal laws that he gave to each one so they would have reached their fulfillment. Evolution in, in nature is not opposed to the notion of creation, because evolution presupposes the creation of beings that evolve. You know, there are several things I want to just kind of touch on here. Number one, when the Pope says we run the risk of imagining G.O.D. was a magician. Well, the first mistake here is comparing our creator to a magician. Whereas well, we know a magician is, uh, does things through illusion... Unless, of course, we're talking about demonic power, which I do believe in. Now, the Pope goes on here to say that we should not view G.O.D., he says, with a magic wand, able to do everything. Why not? Where in Scripture does it pose a a limit to the one we worship? You know, the Bible conveys that Yahweh is all-knowing, that he's all-present, that he's all-powerful, that he can literally do all things. You know, we should never limit the one we worship. In the Pope here, he's limiting the one we worship. As believers, we either believe this or we don't. We either believe that we worship a mighty one that is omnipotent. We either worship a being that is all-knowing and and all-powerful, can do all things, or we worship something else. Because the Bible says and the Bible shows that the one we worship is not limited. It's not limited by time. It's not limited by chance. But yet the Pope here says we should not view the one we worship in this way. That we should not view the one we worship as able to do these things. So where talks about in Genesis where he created the heavens and the earth. No, no. Let's not give Yahweh too much credit. You know, the fact is there is nothing beyond his ability and to say otherwise is heretical. To believe that Yahweh could not create this universe in six days, as scripture says, and required help from evolution is nothing more than a fable. And this man really should be ashamed of himself. You know, the Pope also says here that evolution is not opposed to the notion of creation. Or, you know, I would debate that. And we're going to debate that as we go through this message. You know, where in the Bible does it show that man evolved from an ape-like creature some six million years ago? Do we find this in Genesis? Do we see this in the book of Exodus? Do we see this maybe in the New Testament? Somewhere where it confirms that Yahweh... Using the form of evolution created mankind from an ape. Where there's nothing as we know in the Bible that even remotely conveys a fable. You know what's amazing is nothing more than a myth and a fable. You know what's amazing is that not even Darwin believed that evolution and creation were compatible. And this is a lie, again, that many who push this theistic evolution should understand so here's a quote from darwin himself this is the old argument of design in nature as given by pele which firmly seemed to me so conclusive fells now that the law of natural natural selection has been discovered we can no longer argue that for instance the beautiful hinge of a bivalve shell must have been made by an intelligent being Like the hinge of a door by man, everything in nature is the result of fixed laws. You know, Darwin here, by his own admission, removes any possibility of a divine creator. He says here that the universe and everything within it is the result of fixed laws pointing to evolution and this concept of natural selection. In other words, Yahweh doesn't exist. Everything in this universe happened through time, through uh, chance, and through natural law. Where well, this doesn't seem compatible with creation. You know, there's nothing, this is nothing more than man's attempt to uh, mold Yahweh to his image and really to escape from the requirement to obey the one we worship. You know, the argument that the laws of nature could create such an, uh, an incredible universe is beyond the realm of possibilities. I didn't bring this, any, uh, any, any of this with me today, but there's uh, experts that works in statistics, and they will tell you, many of them, that it's impossible. It's impossible. And I know I've heard a, a, one uh, statistician say that it's like a junkyard creating a Boeing airplane. It just, it's just not going to happen It can't happen. It is beyond the realm of possibility. You know, it's amazing how someone can look at a painting and they know that somebody painted that painting, that there was some intelligence that produced that painting. But yet, those same people can look at this universe with far more complexity and believe that there was no intelligent designer behind that universe. It makes no sense. It's beyond reason. It's nonsensical. You know, Stephen Jay Gold was a renowned evolutionary biologist. He passed away in 2002. He was a staunch believer, as you can imagine, in evolution, and he too denied the existence of a divine creator. I want to share a quote from this man. He says natural selection is an immensely powerful idea with radical philosophical implications. The radicalism of natural selection lies in its power to dethrone some of the deepest and most traditional comforts of Western thought, particularly the notion of that nature's benevolence, order, and good design with humans at a sensible summit of power and excellence proves the existence of an omnipotent and benevolent creator. To these beliefs, Darwinian natural selection presents the most contradictory position imaginable. You know, we see here Mr. Gold emphatically confirming that creation and evolution are contradictory notions. They share nothing in common. They cannot both coexist. He says here that evolution and natural selection has the potential to dethrone many of our Western ideas our thoughts, including a belief in a benevolent creator. So you see there's a connection between evolution and the denial of our Creator, You know, the only thing I would agree with this man on is probably his use of the word radical. Not only is it radical, it's heretical. You know, for me, this is why evolution possibly poses one of the greatest threats to Western civilization. How many people today do not believe? How many young people go to college and they're fed this propaganda and they come out unbelieving? I've seen it. I've seen many, many examples of this. Where young people I know, they go into college, they they get fed this propaganda, and they come out an atheist or an agnostic at best, questioning everything. You know, for me, this is why, again, evolution is so important to uh, rebuttal. You know, I believe the reason this nation was so successful in the beginning was this profound belief and reliance on a divine creator. I really believe that's why this nation was so successful in the beginning. You know, the success is not in our political system. It never has been, it never will be. The success of this nation hinges on the ministers of this nation. If every minister, if every pastor would would preach morality, I don't care what your dogmatic theological perspective is. But if we would preach and say that adultery is wrong, fornication is wrong, abortion is wrong, homosexuality is wrong. And if that was done across the board, you would see a revolution in this nation. You would see an awakening like never before in this nation. It will never be found in our political system. It is found within those who preach the word. And again, I don't care what the theological bent is. Because we should all share the same common sense morality we find within Scripture. And years ago, that was true. did not matter if you were a Methodist or a Catholic or a Baptist. Those core values were shared across the board. or not so much anymore. You know, with this in mind, I want to share a quote that originated somewhere in the 1800s. The author of Someone in Dispute, so I'm not going to mention his name, were those who often... Um, say who wrote this but for me the author is not important is what this person wrote so here's the quote it says i sought for the greatness and genius of american as commodious harbors and her ample rivers and it was not there i sought for the greatness and genius of american her fertile fields and boundless forests and it was not there I sought for the greatness and genius of American her rich minds, and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of American her public school system and her institutions of learning, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of American her democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution, and it was not there. Not. Until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness, did I understand the secrets of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. You know, through this quote, we find the reason America was great. America was great because America was good. And America was good because America believed and followed the morality of Scripture. That's why this nation was great. You know, as a nation, that we've gotten away from this, and now, we are seeing the results of this negligence in our day and age. The other lesson I believe we see here is that this nation is not a need, as I said, of a political revolution. It is a need of a spiritual awakening which sadly I do not see happening in this day and age. But again, if every church would preach simple morality, we would see a change like never before. There's a guy on Facebook, I don't don't even know the name of, I don't even know what denomination he is, but I like listening to the man because I tell you, you, he's one of these, uh, uh, you know, fiery preachers. And he just tells you like it is. And he's a very strong, moral man, very traditional man. And his thinking, not as Sabbath keeper, but he preaches on morality. If everybody would do that, we would see a spiritual awakening. But you know, the reality is many churches are as corrupt as today's politicians. And that's just the reality of where we're at today. You look at the churches, they're more concerned about numbers. They're more concerned about income. They're more concerned about prestige. You know, as a minister, we should not be concerned about any of this. I was sharing with someone before the service. Most of you know this. There's a reason why we're called Yahweh's Restoration Ministry. For those who don't, the reason we're called Yahweh's Restoration Ministry is we never intended to have an assembly. Our first focus was a ministry. We wanted to simply preach the word, not hinder, not not, uh, uh, restrained. We simply wanted to preach the word, including those things that are often hard to hear, things like marriages for life a lot of people don't like that today but that's what the bible says but yet yeah we had other plans as we uh see today it organically evolved i guess not in the sense of Darwinian evolution though you know in short i believe that evolution has led to a rejection of a divine creator in this nation You know, a 2005 interview, Richard Dawkins, he's a very, very well-known evolutionist. If you've looked into this topic, I'm sure you've heard the name. But here's what he said in a 2005 interview. He says, my personal feeling is that understanding evolution led me to atheism. Let me read that one more time. He says, my personal feeling is that understanding evolution led me to atheism. This is one of the most staunch and well-known atheists in existence today. You know, I believe that this short statement says volumes when it comes to the debate between creation and evolution. According to this man, it was evolution that led him to atheism, a rejection of a divine creator. You know, so from this man's perspective, there is a connection between a belief in evolution and atheism. You know, for me, this shows that creation and evolution cannot possibly coexist. They are contradictory and opposed in every way. Now, if there is no common thread between creation and evolution, why is it that some and many theologians give credence to this idea? Through, again, this concept of theistic evolution. You know, I believe this is done for one reason, and that is to bridge the Bible with what they believe to be a scientific fact. You see, it's built upon an assumption that this has to be right, so we have to fit this in. Now, this may be motivated through personal conviction, politics, possibly other reasons, whatever it is. It is built upon a false premise. Evolution is not a fact. It is a bad theory. Even though evolution is called a theory, the issue is many see it as a proven fact, especially within academia. For example, again, I'm going to quote Richard Dawkins. He says this, he says, today the theory of evolution is about as much open to doubt as a theory that the earth goes around the sun. So you see these people, they may say the theory of evolution, but they teach this as a fact. You know, I still remember my middle school class, science class, biology class, and I can't remember exactly what was said, but I I, I remember, remember hearing or at least perceiving this idea that evolution is a fact. That's the way it was being taught within the public school system. You know, because of this, there was a short time in my life when I questioned the Bible. I questioned my belief. Because I knew, as, even as a young man, even as a teenager, that, that evolution and, and religion could not both be right. I knew that I, what I was taught all my life could not coexist with evolution. So, again, I questioned my faith for a short time. And, you know, I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in this. I know that. Many, many people do the same thing. They hear this theory, taught as fact, and they try to retrofit this into what they believe, and it causes them to lose faith. You know, as an example of what evolution teaches about the origins of human beings, here's part of an article from the Smithsonian. So it says, Human evolution is a lengthy process of change by which people originated from ape-like ancestors, Scientific evidence shows that the physical and behavioral traits shared by all people originated from ape-like ancestors and evolved over a period of approximately 6 million years. One of the earliest defining human traits, bipedalism, the ability to walk on two legs, evolved over 4 million years ago. Now, how they know this, I I just, I don't know. I'm just reading here. Other important human characteristics, such as a large and complex brain, the ability to make and use tools, and the capacity for language, developed more recently. Many advanced traits, including complex symbolic expression, art, and elaborate cultural diversity, emerged mainly during the past 1,000, 100,000 years. Humans are primates. Physical and genetic similarities show that the modern human species, Homo sapiens, has a very close relationship to another group of primate species, the apes. You know, I've ever, often wondered, just to pause here, often wondered, have they ever, ever thought there's a reason why? Maybe there's a divine creator that created them that way. Goes on to say, humans and the great apes, large apes of Africa, chim- uh, chimpanzees and gorillas, share a common ancestor that lived between 8 and 6 million years ago. Humans first evolved in Africa, and much of human evolution occurred on that continent. The fossils of human, early humans who lived between 6 and 2 million years ago came entirely from Africa. You know, what we find here is the same information being shared and taught to our young people in schools today. They are teaching that we, homo sapiens, as they would say, or human beings, evolved from an ape-like ancestor. Well, let me ask, how does this parallel with the Bible? Can you show me a passage in Scripture that says that we evolved from an ape-like animal some six million years ago? Does it confirm that man originally walked on all fours and only gained the ability to walk upright some four million years ago? Does it show that over time man developed a more complex brain and only much later the capacity of language to speak You know, all these points contradict the narrative of Genesis. They contradict the Bible. There is no retrofitting evolution into the biblical account. It just simply cannot be done. You know, as we see in Scripture, mankind was created whole. In other words, we were created, and when that was done, we could walk on two feet. We had the same brain that we have now, maybe better brains back then. We had the ability to speak. Adam named all the animals. We had the ability to reason, just as we do now. Where this contradicts the concept and the evolutionary thought that we find here. And again, this is the same information being taught. This is a Smithsonian. The same information being taught. And we should not be surprised. We really should not be surprised. I want to share just a chart chart real quickly here. So here's a chart, a family portrait, if you will. So I got like lemurs and then monkeys, gibbons, orangutans, gorillas, baboons, chimpanzees, early bipedal apes, non-throwers. I'm not sure where they fit in. Homo erectus. I guess they were upright. And then we finally have Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens, human beings. So um, we see it says, I don't know if you can read this, but it says the human lineage and the chimp lineage split about 7 million years ago. And that's uh, with the baboon and the chimpanzee. You know, from this chart, we see that uh, supposedly Homo sapiens or humans evolved from primates. We read, We read from the Smithsonian that mankind evolved from an ape-like ancestor somewhere in the realm of six or seven million years ago. You know, I love how they play with numbers, by the way. Oh, I don't know, 40 billion years ago, somewhere in there. You know, the fact is, according to what we find here, it was this time that uh, that the uh, ancestor of humans and uh, chimps split. They split six to seven million years ago. And they went down their own evolutionary path you know as we've talked about this is nonsensical like it contradicts scripture it contradicts the bible the bible says nothing about evolving from apes in fact from genesis we find the complete opposite i want to since we're talking about this i, I normally don't read the an, an entire chapter but i think i should so i'm just going to go ahead and read and i'll comment here and there but i'm just going to read through genesis 1 now you can follow me in your bibles you can listen doesn't matter but um so here's what it says in genesis 1 i'm going to read all 31 verses here so "And elohim said let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters. i'm sorry it's not where it starts in the beginning so that's where it starts in the beginning Elohim created the heavens and the earth Now I thought evolution had to do that it doesn't say here that in the beginning Elohim created the heavens and the earth through the evolutionary process known as evolution and natural selection it says the earth was without form and void darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters and Elohim said let there be light and there was light you see he can do all things he simply spoke the words, and it was done. He said, let there be light, and light appeared. And I believe, by the way, that this was the, uh, the uh, Shekinah glory, the, 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 the glory that, that um, exudes from our Father in heaven at this point. And Elohim saw the light that it was good, and Elohim divided the light from the darkness. And Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning were the first day. Just as a real quick, we got a lot of notes, by the way, in, in the RSB. And um, we, are, we, uh, we, we uh, subscribe to the traditional creation, and that is that Yahweh created the heavens and the earth in six days, and that the earth is about 6,000 years old. But here we find it says a first day, evening and morning. Now, according to Hebrew scholars, when you see Hebrew, when you see evening and morning, this is one literal day just to throw that out there okay verse 6 Elohim said let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters and some say that this divided the oceans and, and from a canopy that existed is one theory and Elohim made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and it was so and the firmament is simply the sky And Elohim called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Again, evening and morning, 24-hour day. And Elohim said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. So now we have dry land. And Elohim called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called He seas, and Elohim saw that it was good. Elohim said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in himself upon the earth. Notice how Yahweh creates, by the way, is after their kind, after their own kind. And we see the same thing today, that a gorilla can't give birth to a human being, that a human being gives birth to a human being, that a Plant will produce the same kind of plant. A tomato plant will produce a tomato plant. It produces after its kind. Well, this is how Yahweh established it in the, in the beginning. Verse 13, in the, in the evening and morning, the third day. And Elohim said, let there be, in, be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. The word seasons, just real quickly, is moed. Moab is generally connected with the feast days. And as we know, the moon marks the months and the sun marks the day. We see that in Psalms 104 19. And just one more thought. Some some believe, just as a side note, that the days of creation are are like a thousand years. So, like one day is a thousand years, second day is two thousand years. How does plants exist without? The sun for a thousand years. I don't know if you've ever considered that. That theory. Verse 15. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven. To give light upon the earth. And it was so. And Elohim made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. The sun. The lesser light to rule the night. The moon. He made the stars also. Yeah it's kind of interesting the way it does that. It's kind of a side note. He made the sun. He made the moon. And by the way there was also stars he made. Of course, the stars were used for navigation and still are used for navigation by some. Verse 17, Elohim set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to divide a light from the darkness. Elohim saw that it was good. The evening and the morning were the fourth day. And Elohim said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and fowl." that may fly above the earth and the open firmament of heaven. And Elohim created the great wells and every living creature that moved, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after its kind. And Elohim saw that it was good, and Elohim blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth, In the evening and the morning were the fifth day." And Elohim said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after his kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. So again, just notice this continuous theme of Yahweh creating through his own kind. That's such an important concept. Because again, evolution will say that no, it doesn't work that way. That we all evolved and we're all from the same soup. The same soup. So the plants, the animals, human beings were all from the same source. But here it says that everything arose and then multiplied from with its own kind. Let's see, where was I? First, let's just start at verse 25. And Elohim made the beast of the earth after its kind and cattle after its kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after His kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image. Now just real quickly, let us make man. Now we believe that this is probab or this was the Father and the Son. Maybe even the angels, who knows? But certainly the Father and the Son is who we believe exist not a trinity and not oneness. They're two separate beings. Let us make man. They were both present, they both had a role. Let us so Elohim created man in his own image. And the image of Elohim created he, him, male and female, called he them. And Elohim blessed them. And Elohim said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish. Replenish by the word in the Hebrew. A lot of people are thrown off by this, they, they, the whole gap theory notion. Replenish does not mean to, to refill. If you look at the Hebrew, it simply means To fill. Look it up in Strong's. It means to fill. This really throws a lot of people off. The earth and subdue it and have dominion. See, mankind, just, just to point this out as well, mankind was given a dominion over the earth. You know, anymore, these uh, left-wing liberals, they want put to the, put, put animals over mankind. You can kill a baby. But, but don't dare touch that whatever it is. That giraffe or the rhino, whatever it is. No, Yahweh gave mankind dominion. He gave mankind dominion over creation. Where was I? Let's just read verse 28 again. And Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living Thing that moves upon the earth. And Elohim said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat or for food. And every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and to every living thing that creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And Elohim saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So this is the creation account. Day one, just to kind of recap this here. We have light and darkness. And if you have an RSB, you can follow along with me. I'm just reading from a chart. We have day two, dividing the waters. Day three, we have the earth and plants. Day four, we have the heavenly lights the sun and the moon and the stars day five we have birds and fishes not sure why he paired those up but birds and fishes number six we have animals and mankind and number seven of course we know that he rested and that's why we're here today right we're resting according to his his example and his command you know as we see here in genesis this is a very very different view of life from what we find with evolution we're not talking, I don't see millions of years. I don't see evolving from ape-like creatures. I don't see any of that here. I see that Yahweh created the earth in six days. I see that he created everything whole. In other words, when he created mankind, we were again able to walk. We had brains to think and to reason. And we could speak and we had the ability of language. Let me show, I want to share a chart this shows the differences between creation and evolution, Darwinian evolution. It's quite a list, actually. So, uh, the first one here, hopefully, you can read this. Yahweh is eternal. That's according to creation. Where evolution says no, space and matter are eternal. You know, what? if you ever th- think about the Big Bang, where they say that there was energy and matter and it exploded. Or where did that initial energy come from? You know, no matter what position you hold, you have to believe that either Yahweh's been here forever or that that Big Bang was here forever. Just can't, you know. So creation says that we're solely dependent upon Yahweh. Evolution says that we're solely dependent upon time, chance, and natural processes. Creation says that 6,000 years ago, Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. Evolution says 10 to 15 billion years ago, everything began with the Big Bang. Creation says that the earth came from stars. Creation came before stars. Evolution says that stars came before earth. Earth. Creation says that the heavens and the earth were by design. Evolution says the universe was by accident. Creation says that the earth formed quickly. Evolution says that the earth formed very slowly over millions and billions of years. Creation says that the earth or life came from life. Evolution says that life came from non-life. Creation says that humans and animals created, and, created in it says two days, I should say one day. Evolution says that humans and animals evolved over millions of years. Creation says that kinds begat the same kinds. where evolution says that kinds begat different kinds. Creation says a sin was introduced by Adam. By man. Evolution says that sin is a part of the evolutionary process. It really doesn't exist, it's just there. Creation says that the Garden of Eden is a literal place. Evolution says the Garden of Eden is a myth. Evolution says. Creation says that land formed prior to oceans. Evolution says oceans originally originally covered the earth. Creation says that the creative process and conditions have not remained constant. And this gets into like carbon dating and, and that sort of thing and worldwide flood. Evolution says that the evolutionary process have remained constant, that there's no change. Creation says that language developed very quickly. Evolution says that Language developed slowly. Creation says that marriage was established by Yahweh. Evolution says that marriage was established by man. And the last one here is creation says that the Sabbath rest was established by Yahweh. And evolution says that Sabbath rest was established by man. There's a lot of differences. There's a lot of differences between creation and evolution They're not not symbiotic. They cannot both coexist. They are contradictory in every way you can imagine. Now, what does the Bible say about those who refuse to accept a divine creator? What do we find in the Bible about evolution Well, there's two key passages I want to share with you today. First one is in Romans 1, very well-known passage. Romans 1, 19 through 23. This is because that which may be known of Elohim is manifest in them. For Elohim hath showed it unto them. Nor the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and majesty... So that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew Elohim, they glorified him not as Elohim. Neither were thankful. But became vain in their imaginations. Yeah, just right there. They became vain in their belief in evolution. That's certainly a part of man's imagination. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. You know, I tell you every time I read this, I think of modern academia, these crazy professors, and change the glory of the corrupt, uncorruptible Elohim into an image made like to a corruptible man, into birds and a footed beast and creeping things. You know, when I read this passage by the Apostle Paul again, I think of uh, academia. You know, by and large, most professors within today's universities are, are very liberally minded. And they oppose or really anything biblical. As an example, I want to share a quick excerpt. This is from the Washington Post. stated a uh, March 2nd of 2020, so fairly recently. It reads, Ideals, I'm not sure who Ideals is. Evidently, this was some sort of survey they did. Asked 3,486 college seniors to describe their observations of faculty members' politics. Of these, 49% reported that faculty members expressed politically liberal views. Now, keep in mind, it's not asking whether they're liberal or conservative, but whether they express their politics. So 49% reported that faculty members expressed politically liberal views frequently, it says, or all the time while only 9% said the same about faculty members with conservative views. This article goes on to say this. says, quote, Of the thousands of students we surveyed, 47.1% reported that they had changed their political leaning during college. Of these, 30.3% said they became more liberal. while well, 16.8% became more conservative. So double, double the students going into college became more liberal. You know, based on these numbers, we can draw two conclusions. Number one, liberal professors vast, outnumber conservative professors. And the, and, and the philosophical views expressed Again, that liberal viewpoint is vastly, vastly outnumbers a conservative viewpoint. Number two, as a student, you're much more likely to be influenced with a liberal mindset. You are twice, two times more likely to be influenced with a liberal mindset. Think about that for just a moment. You are two times more likely to walk away with a liberal mindset, and I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen people go into college who were religious, and they come out as atheists or maybe agnostic at best. I've seen it. You know, because of this, we're seeing our young people reject conservative biblical values. And, you know, the Bible is conservative. Some people, they take offense to, that's political. No, that's, that's, the Bible is a, a conservative book. It's a conservative book as we understand it, conservative values. That's what the Bible is. It's a book of conservative values of ethics and morals, and we should not shy away from that. What else does Paul say here? Well, he says here that this universe and this world offers undeniable witness of Yahweh's majesty. You know, when we again consider the complexity of this universe, there's no denying a supreme being. And you you can look at anything. You can look at the smallest molecule and and look at the atoms. And you you can look at these giant stars. And there's no way this simply happened by chance. By random chance through natural selection. The fact is what we see with our eyes is only a glimpse of our Father's creation. Here's what Psalms 19 verse 1 says. I thought it was an appropriate psalm with this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of hell and the firmament shows his handiwork all we have to do is look at look at the earth look at the earth look at the amazing things we find on this planet and then look at the universe and the amazing things we find in this universe and if you still believe that that was part of creation simply evolved through natural selection and random chance i'm not sure what to what to share, what to tell you, because when we understand the complexity... You know, I think of if Darwin. If, if Darwin understood the human cell as we understand it today, because I, I've um, read a few books on this, and many who describe this, the experts, if you will, they, they say that they will describe the human cell as like a city. All the components of a city you, you find within a small human cell. Even uh, even a, a, a mechanism to, to remove waste. I mean, it really is incredible, the complexity of the human cell. Or again, we see the same thing with the sun and uh, so much of Yahweh's creation. I want to share a quick video. I, I just thought it would be appropriate, a quick video. It's about three minutes long. So uh, sit back, enjoy the video. I think it really just shows the complexity, the, the awesome uh, creation that Yahweh's put in place. It's an incredible creator, an incredible design. It's just really beyond our comprehension when you see a video like that. See so the universe and the expansion of that universe. And, you know, we're on one planet, one continent. There's so much more out there. And it really is, really is amazing. We can probably turn the lights on so I can see my notes. But really is an incredible video. And, and I think it, again, shows the awesome creation that Yahweh's put in place. And to say that this, again, simply happened by random chance is nonsensical. You know, from the smallest atoms to the vast celestial giants within this universe, we see Yahweh's fingerprints. We see Yahweh's fingerprint. This universe provides evidence of Yahweh's existence. And that's what Paul says here in this passage with Romans 1. Paul confirms here that... The world, the universe, provides evidence for him, not evolution. Again, the complexity, the the enormity of creation is too vast to explain simply by random chance. To believe that it all happened through natural selection, through this notion of evolution, is absurd. Now, we also see something else in Romans 1. Even though man knows Yahweh Paul says here, they choose to, choose to ignore him. They choose to glorify him. You know, Paul also says here that because of this, their foolish heart is darkened. You know, sometimes I wonder how it's possible for people to be so blind. How is it possible for people to believe such things? You know, because of this rejection, I believe Yahweh has given them over to a reprobate mind. In fact, my wife and I, we were discussing just the trend of this nation. And what we're seeing politically, what we're seeing morally in this nation and really the world. And, and you know, I, in my mind, it has to be one of two things. Either they truly believe what they're doing is right or there's an agenda behind it. And, of course, maybe both are right because I do think there's an agenda. But I also think that they're right. And I think, I think they believe they're right because Yahweh has given them over to a reprobate mind. And that's the problem we have in this nation and the world today. As people refuse to acknowledge Yahweh, Yahweh says fine, I will refuse to acknowledge you. And I'm going to give you over to a reprobate mind of mind that is incapable of knowing right and wrong. A mind that is incapable of reasoning based on values and ethics. And you see the crazy things that these people support. And he ask, how, how could you ever support us? I was flipping through Facebook and and I saw a um, post on abortion. And it's just it's so sad. It's so sad. And yet we have these politicians claiming to be religious, and yet they're pushing these, these progressive progressive forms of evolution, or evolution, of abortion to the point of birth. I mean, it's disgusting. It really is disgusting. And again, I think Yahweh's given these people over to a reprobate mind. And this explains why we're in the mess we're in. And, you know, I think it, again, evolution plays a role in this. Evolution plays a part in this. I want to focus on one more, one more uh, thing Paul says here. He says that they changed the image of Elohim into corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Now, I realize Paul is not referring here to evolution. Darwin wasn't born yet. Evolution did not exist, or the theory anyway. But I do believe that this somehow connects to evolution. We have we certainly see this through evolution, that they have rejected Yahweh for this concept of of creation, natural laws. They reject the divine for natural laws. So I think this really plays a part in what we find with evolution. You know, the uh, phrase Mother Earth is an example. They don't say my heavenly Father no it's Mother Earth, as in as if the earth is some sort of a divine entity. Don't hurt, Mother Earth. Now, one of my favorite passages when speaking about evolution is Second uh, Peter 3, verse 5. Actually, I'm going to read 3 through 5 here. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they, for this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of Elohim the heavens were of old. You know, Peter says here, there's coming a day when man will criticize the idea of Yahshua's coming. You know, I believe we're seeing that in this day and age. And as time progresses, I believe we're going to see more and more of this doubt. You know, Luke 18 verse 8 really that's where found yashma asked this question he says nevertheless when the son of man cometh shall he find faith or some say the faith on the earth now what do you suppose he asked that what do you suppose yashma asked that will i find faith on the earth Or well, i believe that he knew what this earth would do i believe that he knew the route and the progression that mankind would take And we see the same thing here with Peter. There's coming a time when people will no longer believe that Yahshua is coming back and they will accept the ever increasingly wicked and perverse theology that we find within this progressive movement. Now, he also speaks about creation here, creation of the heavens and the earth. He says here the sum willingly are ignorant of this truth. I want to explore this phrase for just a few moments. Willingly are ignorant of creation. So the New King James says, for they willfully forget, willfully, deliberately, willfully forget. The NIV says, but they deliberately forget. The Revised Standard Version says they deliberately ignore. I like that one. They deliberately ignore that the word of Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. You know, as one minister once put it, they are stupid on purpose. They know what they believe is wrong. They deliberately believe a lie. They willfully believe a lie because they rather believe a lie listen, than to follow the one we worship. They rather believe a lie. What Peter is saying here is that there are some people who knowingly and deliberately ignore the idea that Yahweh's word created the heavens and the earth. Now, if this doesn't describe what we find from, this, from those who support this concept of evolution, and I'm not, I'm not talking about these innocent bystanders that are taught this foolishness, I'm talking about these professors and those in academia teaching this, pushing this, supporting this. You know, even though everything in this universe points to a creator supreme being an intelligent designer, they willfully, they deliberately, they ignore this truth. You know, as we saw from the chart showing the differences between creation and evolution, these, there are two different philosophies. There's no harmonizing. There's no way to reconcile evolution with creation. It just doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. Either we believe in the Bible, either we believe in what it says in Genesis 1, or we ignore it. And you know, it's very dangerous. I believe it's very, very dangerous as a believer to ignore part of Yahweh's word. You know, I've seen people like that. They, they, they get this idea. You know, for instance, I um, can't even remember what the idea was. But this person had this idea, this belief. And um, he felt that Job contradicted that. So he threw out Job, I think. And then he threw out some of these other books. So because it did not fit his idea. It's a very dangerous thing to start throwing out or contradicting or reading something into the text that clearly is not there. And this is why, again, I believe that evolution is a religion. It's a religion. From my standpoint, many believe in evolution based on their faith, based on their conviction. And humanism, it's not based on scientific fact. You know, one of the concepts of scientific fact is is, is having a hypothesis and being able to replicate that hypothesis, right? How do you replicate evolution? I know they said they've they've done this, but I, I don't believe that's satisfactory. How do you replicate that? How do you replicate millions of years of of evolution, of, of going from an ape-like creature to a homo sapien, as they would say. You know, the only difference is this. There is a big difference between evolution and, and creation from a faith standpoint. Most of you probably know what I'm going to say, maybe. It takes much more faith to believe in evolution than it does in creation. Much, much more faith in evolution than Creation. Well, I hope this message has been a blessing to you. I hope it's opened your eyes, maybe given you a few things that, to consider. You know, as believers, it's so important that we stand by the irrefutable word of our Father in Heaven. Let's not change it. Let's not, let's not conform it to our image. Let's simply follow it as we find within the truth. May Yahweh bless you.